0: Hello and welcome to episode two of A Woman's Place. Today we are going to discuss, I don't know what the title of this one is going to be, hopefully something sarcastic and catchy, but the Brits are at it again, I suppose is a good one.
1: It has been zero days the been... Brits were at it.
0: Please Google, what is it, www. Are the Brits are the it, Brits. At it? and you will find the answer. Um, so we're just looking at how the claiming of Ireland is a feminist issue um just to introduce myself again, I'm Tina and this is Sarah. Uh and you're very welcome. So I wanted to get into this topic because <clears throat> I saw a um article on the Express I think it's Wor yeah, it's Express World but it's outco.uk um talking about Ireland and how Ireland has been in the mouth of the UK media a little bit more often um, recently. And it's not for no reason. They are making a play at Air Exit and Brexiteers are, you know, the Irish Freedom Party, for example, is just an extension of UKIP and um, they are seeding.
1: we also should mention that uh, UKIP is based in Northern Ireland, actually. It's not even based in, in England. They really? have their they have their kind of organisational base in Northern Ireland because they have different hate speech laws to the rest of the <gasps> UK. So they can say more things in Northern Ireland. They do a lot of their fundraising in Northern Ireland among um, kind of extreme unionists. Um, and some of them even live in Northern Ireland.
0: Oh, my God, that's shocking. Yeah. Maybe that explains because, you know, there was... The recent uh, protests, the anti-mask ones, where they were all wearing masks, and there was a lot of people there. But th- there's some people were saying that they were shouting like England, England. It's like me, like for me, I was just like this is bizarre behavior. They're, like they're obviously whipping up fear, um, and obviously there are Irish people involved. But it just felt so like there's so many people saying the this feels like Hull and stuck on Trent back in the day when they were like seeding these issues and um, yeah I think it's a big problem so part of that is having to convince the, which is not going to be hard, the British public that Ireland kind of is them or belongs to them. So this article is called um, Tony Blair convinced Ireland to join Euro. Now t- Dublin must get out or sail into disaster. And I just want to examine uh, briefly the, the language in this article and how it portrays Ireland as this like crazy woman who needs rescuing. But first we want to uh, give the framing of how Ireland is a feminine thing and why it is a feminist issue. So um,
1: historically, um... so kind of historically, um, as we all know, we had our, our own culture. We had a very um, different, very different culture from from the English, which is kind of an Anglo-Saxon culture. Mm-hmm. And later on, a, a, a Norman Saxon culture. But ours was always uh, very much a Gaelic culture. So, for example, like we, we really valued poets. We really valued uh, people who were musically inclined and they would have been a big part of the the tribe. Uh, so historically, um, we would have had a very um, a very artistic society, mm-hmm. um, and the Bards, we had, we exactly we had Philly, which, which are our poets, um, and they have they had a huge amount of power in, in Gaelic Ireland, um, and the kind of personification of Ireland as a nation started in the late. 1600s um, up to the late 1700s. And that was as a direct response to Britain's invasions and kind of attempts to take over and eradicate our culture um, and our language. And it started with this kind of uh, poetry genre called the ashling, and um, very common name in Ireland now. Uh, in these poems, Ireland is represented as either a young woman um, who is uh, so young that she's kind of helpless, maybe mm. 16, 17, 18, or uh, an old woman, a very yeah. old woman who is helpless again. Um, and both of these lament the existence of Irish people and kind of prophesy the imminent coming of heroes to save them. And it's this thing of, um, rise up my sons and die for Ireland. Yes. It never refers to women. <clears throat> um, it's always, rise up my sons. Um, and this, this was the Gaelic's... Gaelic poets' attempt at kind of rallying the people and giving them hope against the invaders.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I suppose and and um, on the other side of that is the is the English or the British framing of Ireland as a woman. Um, there's this article here by or by Elizabeth Butler Cullingford, thinking of her as Ireland Yeats, Pierce and Heaney. Um, so it's the person historically, the personification of Ireland as a woman has served two distinct ideological purposes as applied by Irish men. It has helped to confine Irish women in a straight jacket of purity and passivity. So that's more talking about uh, kind of a separate thing that you were talking about there. But and um, as applied by English cultural imperialist it has um, imprisoned the whole Irish race in a debilitating stereotype. The representation of the land as female is a function of the patriarchal opposition between male culture and female culture, which defines women as the passive and silent embodiment of matter. Politically, the land is seen as an object to be possessed or repossessed. To gender it as, as female, therefore, is to confine and reproduce the social arrangements which construct women as material possessions, not as speaking subjects. So this, this links into what we were talking about just briefly is the white supremacist ideology or patriarchal ideology, Ideology, or to use Terence McKenna's um, uh, uh, cat, uh, categorization, dominator culture, which I think is a really helpful term. So when you have a dominator culture, you obviously dominate other things that you see inferior in to you. You
1: believe you have the right to own them.
0: Exactly. And therefore, and looking at like the Bible is the first, the first, you know, the Genesis is man has dominion, man has dominion over woman. So it's also over female. And if you categorize the world as nature, as female or um, subhuman, then blah 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 like like people who follow feminist literature would be very familiar with that idea but maybe other people wouldn't be so it's good to just outline it um but yeah so this framing of of ireland as a feat as the female that can be dominated is a very old stereotype and a very old trick used so just to like read this um article ireland was convinced to to join the euro by former UK Prime Minister Tony Blair. Right off the bat, we have Ireland was convinced by Tony Blair. You know, like the agency of Ireland as the feminine, like, you know, is, 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 is...
1: Ireland forfeited with the assurances from Tony Blair that it was on the right course with its enthusiastic commitment to the European project sailed on and into disaster and it's obviously infantilization of mm-hmm. us as a nation uh, kind of uh, presuming that we we don't know what's best for ourselves and that we should listen to big daddy england yes. and see what big daddy england is doing before we make our own choices yes. um but it is very much you can infantilize people or nations without um without it being a feminist issue but you can't infantilize ireland by england can't infantilize ireland without it being a feminist yeah. issue because it has the history yeah. behind it yeah. you know Moldova can infantilize North Macedonia without it being about Fem- about, about without it being a feminist issue, but yeah. Ireland cannot be infantilized by England without it being a feminist mm. issue because they've been doing this to us for, for literally so. a thousand years. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think the just in the opening paragraph is like to free itself from the straitjacket of the single European currency is just show like the that Ireland is in a straitjacket. This crazy female character that needs to be rescued um what else is another part of it here oh this is by like the, the this is an article basically with um mr bassett ray bassett who's a former irish ambassador to canada jamaica and the bahamas but, but actually this is just an ad for his book yeah um, he's a brexiteer um it also frames it like oh yeah in ireland we had great admiration for blair who had helped deliver the good friday agreement and and in a manner which no other british prime minister would have been capable of doing
1: now i don't personally agree with that as a historian i, I don't i simply don't agree with that i think that any prime minister who stood where Tony Blair stood at the time, would have seen that the correct decision was the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. They'd been working on it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that Tony was new Labour had absolutely nothing to do with it because Tony Blair's predecessor, John Major, who was a Tory, was trying to implement a, a Good Friday-esque agreement, which was called the Downing Street Declaration. And like all of the attempted peacemaking... Um, treaties before that such as the sunningdale agreement or um, the anglo-irish agreement in 1985 it was unionist opposition to allowing a power sharing government that made those agreements collapse mm-hmm. it wasn't that tony blair was a wizard with a magic wand yeah who, who who made everybody feel safe and happy it was that the eu or sorry it was that the northern ireland was costing the uk Billions of pounds yes. every year. It had no economy. It, it was making no money. Um, and to be honest with you, after three thousand people dying in the troubles, I I think that any prime minister would have made the decision that Tony Blair made. Yes,
0: yeah, and I suppose it's just and like there's so many things packed into this article. I know it's an express.co.uk um article but i think it has a,
1: a wide readership
0: and i think these more tabloid papers actually tell you a lot more than what the more polite um society media will tell you but the 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 idea that ireland was well or tony blair was well admired in ireland is just revisionism like it absolutely i don't believe that that was the case i don't have any memory of tony blair like Maybe Diana, you know, you could argue Diana was was like that, but absolutely not Tony Blair. He has this this another
1: quote that said, "Um, Ireland forfeited with the assurances that Tony from Tony Blair that it was on the right course with its enthusiastic commitment to the European project sailed on and into disaster." I find that I find that very um interesting because number one, again, it's this thing of uh, Big Daddy England told us it was all right, mm-hmm. um, uh, but sailed on and into disaster. Um, is referring, I assume, to the two thousand and eight crash, which had far more to do with subprime mortgage lending in America than it did to have to have to do with anything that that um that, that we did in in the EU here. Now, obviously, the banking regulations were out of control, but, uh, England suffered just as badly as Ireland did.
0: Actually, um, just as I was reading this, there I was trying to, marry the Ashling thing with this article, um, and this. Article like the Brexit campaign was an appeal for the men to rise up and defend our border. Yeah, this sentence at the end in the final analysis, it was a profoundly political act to take Ireland into the euro, and it will take a profoundly political decision with courage to take it out. So it's this. This is kind of like an Ashling poem in a way. It's calling the Irish to arms. Yeah. You know, um, and it's this idea that we need to be rescued from the EU. So we're gonna be rescued for the from the EU to go back to. Like I don't understand Irish patriots who want who see that as a you know
1: um we didn't like I we did not join the Euro because the EU big boys told us to. Yeah. And we we joined the the eu mainly because our economy was very stagnant in the 1970s before we joined um and we wanted the opportunity to trade with people other than england mm-hmm. which england did not like yeah. they didn't like the fact that you know over i would say easily over 70% of our exports in the 70s went to england um especially because we were a highly agrarian society huge amounts of cattle grain mm-hmm. stuff like that went it went to england um and then when the eu market opened up the British didn't like it because they couldn't tell us what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Former colonial masters do not like it when their former colonies begin to make decisions for themselves, mm-hmm. and that's not just a British thing. That is a worldwide thing. Yeah, yeah. You see this in every every former colony. They their former colonial masters have a finger in the pie.
0: This is what we were discussing earlier about, like the how you know, like he who mentions Hitler uh, loses, but. You know, um, the rise of fascism, like it is in 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 uh, in in America at the moment, is uh, is removed in his in in the common historical teaching, say in school, from its economic basis, like the 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 colonialism as an economic system. We're just kind of told, oh, the British came over and they they took our land and that was it but no no, no it, it's like they they took the land and they took the labor to, and they took the resources and the resources to enrich themselves <clears throat> and this idea of the superiority the white supremacy um or the dominator m- mindset is that um that is yours and you can you can profit off it i think i think that part
1: when, when we look at things like the, pol- the politics surrounding white supremacy like it's always an economic policy mm-hmm. that surrounds it so you see this um like fascism is kind of one branch of that tree you see around fa- like the the rise of fascism almost it always follows a recession yeah people have less money they have more time on their hands they're possibly completely unemployed it's
0: it's the it's the income inequality gap that produces fascism so it's like it's like it's like uh, like late stage capitalism produces fascism yeah
1: and we we see this after the wall street crash huge rise in fasc- fascism in, in europe um yeah. and then we see after the 2008 crash huge rise in fascism again in europe um and fascism serves a certain Um, social purpose for these people. It's not necessarily that they actually believe in fascism. It's that they literally have nothing better to do with their time and they're and they're angry and they don't really know what they're angry at. But they're 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 quite happy. Exactly, they're quite happy to direct their anger at certain people or certain races of people. Yeah. Um. he who
0: is below me this is the when it comes back in like the superiority when you feed people this idea that you know there is inferior and superior then the in order for the like you know the guy in the bottom to not feel the most inferior he's going to superior uh, superiorize himself I don't know if that's a word and then like put someone else down so that he can raise up this mindset of white supremacy is really important that we really understand i think like what is it that like supremacy is the justification um capitalism is the is the vehicle but the whole point of everything is the profit money is money
1: yeah and we know. we see this uh, from the earliest um the earliest British involvement in Ireland, mm-hmm. we see them justifying the fact um, that they need to invade us and they need to take us over, mm-hmm. um, to civilize us. That's a big, big point in all in all white colonialism, mm-hmm. in all in all colonialism in general, but particularly with white colonialism, is that the people of this land are inferior they are subhuman and they need our help to civilize them i think everybody everybody in the world can 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 accept that the british were really the fathers of colonialism they were really the ones who who really went to town like at one stage the british empire covered one third of the world Mm -hmm. do you know they they were the ones who really kind of showed the other countries like france spain etc how to do it yeah and they did it with us we were their original colony. Mm-hmm. So in in the, the early part of, of the kind of modern era, like the, the since Jesus was born, really, um, the early part of that era, Ireland was a very independent country, we we're very well respected around the world. Um, we were one of the countries who did not go through the dark ages. Mm. We were the island of saints and scholars, we were extremely important, um we were an extremely important part of the literary and cultural revival of Europe along with the Moors in southern Spain, the Muslims in southern Spain, who also didn't deal with the fall of the Roman Empire. And so therefore they kept a lot of their literature. And through the Muslims of southern Spain and North Africa and Ireland, the the literature was redistributed throughout Europe. And that's what helped bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. Um, Nobody knows that because we've always been painted as these stupid boggers. I
0: also have it in my mind of... Ireland as this just unknown island that nobody knew about and we were just like here, tinkering away, no. having a great old time. I didn't realise that we were had an international presence yeah. at all. I actually, you know, recently was thinking, how do the Native Americans know that we had an old family there now and they sent us over some money? Aren't they very good? like they, we, like what like we
1: think of globalization as a modern um, a modern phenomenon that is not true like globalization since people could walk mm. we've been globalizing the world and, but it's just the journey times were much much longer back yes. then that's that's the big thing um so for example if if you look at a if, if you google a map of irish monasteries or monasteries founded by irish people you'll find them all over europe um and that helped to spread kind of the 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 friendly um stereotype of the irish mm-hmm. the good stereotype of the irish mm-hmm. that we were the island of saints and scholars um and it wasn't really until about the 12th century when um when ireland w- was put under a microscope by the british and we were their closest neighbor they were much more powerful than us because we had we did not while we while we were um kind of fighting amongst each other we were not looking beyond our shores. Mm-hmm. They were,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so one of the first kind of works on Ireland. But wasn't
0: England the most invaded country? Yes. In Europe? yeah, so yeah. I mean, so it's this, this kind of like response. Yeah, so yeah. you had
1: like the Celts were the kind of uh, original invaders of of, of England, and mm-hmm. then you had um like you had the Saxons, the Anglo Saxons, the Jutes, like the 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 Vikings, um then you had the Normans who were just French Vikings, mm-hmm. but the. The, we are
0: Normans, but French. Yes,
1: precisely. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was this guy then called Gerald of Wales or Geraldus Cambrensis. And I, I think that his the influence of Gerald of Wales on Irish history cannot be understated. He's probably one of the most important figures in Irish history and nobody has heard of him. Yeah. Um, he was a, a Cambro-Norman um, bishop. So he was a Welsh. He was born in Wales, but he, he, he was of Norman descent. And he came to Ireland um, in the in the twelfth century. is this Saint Patrick. No, 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 no. After, well, after Saint Patrick. Okay. Um, he came. He came to Ireland in the twelfth century. Asking
0: stupid questions, so you don't have to.
1: Yes. <laughs> so he he came to Ireland in kind of um the eleven nineties, eleven eighties, just after um Dermid the Snake went to England and asked them, would he would they help him at. Uh, Bring back take back his kingdom um, and so the Normans began landing here and he came over and he had to look around um, oh and he's like look at this shithole he's like this is the biggest shithole I've ever seen in my life and I'm going to write a book about how big of a shithole this place is Okay, and that is literally what he did he wrote a book called Topographia Hibernia and he broke it down into three sections uh, the people the animals and the land shite 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 actually the people, he said, we were only gorgeous, <laughs> which is actually a sentiment echoed by a lot of historical writers. That uh, the Romans, the Greeks, and andrellus cambrensis all said that we were only gorgeous. But
0: what happened? But to we us? were
1: so <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Okay. Right. He was like, he was like, they're beautiful, but by God, are they dumb?
0: Okay.
1: Um, our land was beautiful. Our animals were beautiful. Um, but he. You're
0: beautiful, girl.
1: Yeah. And, and that's that's kind of a sentiment that you hear echoed a lot about Ireland, that it is a very beautiful country. And it is. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But his his thing was that we were savages. We were um we were barbaric. We were primitive. Listen, we, do, you, do you go
0: on a Saturday night and see the lads pissing on the street like he he he
1: really he really portrayed this image of Ireland as a backwards, pagan, primitive, um barbarous place so in his book he discusses seeing a um son uh, after his mother died seeing a son eat the dead body of his mother and cannibalize them uh seeing uh, he he claimed that if the father of a family died the sons would then marry the mother and impregnate their mother but he he claimed all these ridiculous claims about ireland um, and he brought his book back to the ruler of england which was uh, king henry ii And King Henry II was an awful bastard, right? Mm -hmm. He read the book, took it 100%, that is fact. That is fact, and those pagans need to be civilised. So King Henry II decided he'd write to his buddy, the Pope at the time, Pope Adrian, who, surprise, surprise, was English. Okay. And he said to Pope Adrian, like, have you seen this book? Like, look at this.
0: Look at the state of Look at
1: the state of the Irish. And Pope Adrian issued a papal bull called Laudabiliter and laudabiliter basically said that the english have an eternal right over ireland forever mm. because we are so savage that we cannot mind ourselves see. and that the english have a full right to invade us and civilize us yeah and literally that book influenced english policy over ireland until the present day yeah those ideas of us being unable to manage ourselves primitive savage um you know having no uh having no proper uh, culture having no proper form of government um is still an idea that persists to this day
0: yeah i think um that uh, that role of the church can't be underestimated either um, I and think I myself was very ignorant of it until very recently. Well, actually, no. I think I studied um, Joseph Conrad, um, Heart of Darkness was when I was in college, and it um talks about this, this justification from the church and how it gives the um kind of green light, like no, 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 they're subhuman.
1: Yeah. So the first kind of instance of that would be Pope Adrian. Um. Another very famous instance of that would be Pope Urban the who began the first crusade to get Jerusalem back from the Moors or Muslims. Mm -hmm. Um, And he basically said that, okay, yeah, I know the Ten Commandments tell you not to kill, but if they're heretics or pagans, that doesn't count. So you can literally kill as many people as you want and nothing bad will happen to you. You won't go to hell. This continued on um, with the kind of biggest colonization, um, which would be the colonization of the Americas, um, by Ferdinand and Isabella who were very Catholic um, and very, very believing in that their sole purpose was to bring Christianity by hook or by crook to the people in at the Americas. Yeah. And if that involved slaughtering millions of them, then so be it. Yeah. They would be rewarded in heaven for their attempt to... Yeah,
0: it's just incredible. And this... I don't know. I don't understand. Like, I i suppose it's because you know the the the, Vic, the victor writes the history books and therefore they wouldn't be teaching people oh this is these are the, these are how we get away with it you know um but it's just it's just incredible that it's that kind of simple in a way that yeah. it's just like it's it's a it's a delusional mindset and um yeah i think um, it would be good to highlight the examples i mean i think our, all irish people are very familiar with the like if you're looking for the the pervasiveness of this uh or the legacy of this in society you we as Irish people can very clearly see it um one of the the things um it, I don't know if you've seen this uh this clip but it was on a it said Bradley Wiggins with Sam Bennett about uh, uh, horse racing. I'll just play the clip. It's not long. He's still, he's still relatively young. Insight in cycling terms, he's a young sprinter as well, really, and it's um, great. Well, we can almost consider him British. I know that you lot won't
1: like that, were you? But you know, I've known Sam quite a few years in terms of racing. People that don't know. Him personally <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's just it's. You know, we spoke to him at the Walter
0: last year when he came on our our mm-hmm. show, and you know, it's um at least we understand what he's saying. Can't really understand what you're saying, Sean, sure, can we? But it's just um. <laughs>
1: So that reminds me of only last year. Oh no, not last year. The last World Cup. Roy Keane, who all Irish people will know, and Ian Wright, who most Irish and English people will know, um, were sitting down discussing England's chances at the World Cup, and Ian Wright was living at large, we're gonna win, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. And then they lost the match. Mm -hmm. And after the match, Roy Keane says to Ian Wright, like you were celebrating too you were celebrating too soon. You thought you had it in the bag. And Ian Wright had nothing back, nothing to say back to that. So he just mocked Roy Keane's accent, which I always find is a really infantilizing thing that British people do to Irish people. Say tree, say Say turkey tree, tree, say potato. I think, and I think people will agree, they think that we are the exact same as as them. them, And that is what is portrayed in the british media, media yeah. and we have a lot of examples of this don't we tina
0: yeah loads and loads i want i want to just say the the accent thing is a huge thing and it's like the the it's such a classist thing it's such a classist thing and one of the things that i think belong to kind of colonialism is elocution we had elocution lessons diction, diction yeah and teaching us how to wear what like who does that like nobody who
1: who who does that who
0: who where does that yeah
1: where does that come from
0: um but yeah what are the what are the kind of more pop culture examples of um out of the brits are at it again what's what 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 do we have here so we've got we've got a
1: good few examples of the british claiming irish people um one of one of my kind of f- favourites if, if, if I even have a favourite is uh, Seamus Heaney mm. Seamus Heaney was born in Derry in Northern Ireland um, and he was born to a Catholic family um, and he he while he was alive considered himself to be very much Irish he was included in a penguin book of contemporary British poetry mm. and so he wrote a poem about that and one of the lines is be advised my passport's green no glass of ours was ever raised to toast the Queen
0: Ooh. We, ooh, burn. Ooh,
1: what a burn, exactly. Ooh, burn. We have Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal nominated for Best British Actor at the Emmys 2019.
0: And just the other day, um, uh, Dermot Kennedy tweeted, as Paul Mescal once says, I'm Irish because he was nom- he was referred to as British. Saoirse
1: Ronan, Colin Farrell, Michael Fassbender also nominated for Best British Actor in the BAFTAs in 2016. Conor McGregor claimed by the first as the first British UFC champion by various news outlets. Uh, two big ones that irritate me in in a, in a big way are Oscar Wilde and Jonathan Swift. I
0: think so many people would not even know that Oscar Wilde is Irish. Yeah. Like, so many. He's
1: almost always found on British authors' lists. Uh, Shane Lowry, the golfer, uh, was claimed on Sky News, and I'm quoting here, it would be lovely, wouldn't it, for the home fans as well as us, because it's nice to see a British winner of the Open. Mm. He was born in Offaly. Um, when Pope Francis visited Ireland a banner on Sky News declared the Pope, Pope in England. Ireland
0: England Pope in
1: England sorry yeah that's the, um. and then one other one that I have is uh, Paul and Gary O'Donovan who were the um rowers they won three silver medals at the double skulls in the European Championships and beside their names a little Union Jack appeared which denoted them as British athletes they yeah. are from Skibberine
0: they are from the arsehole yeah. of Skibbereen,
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very Irish it's not you know um in a way, I suppose British people might be inclined to think that somebody like Seamus Heaney, being born in Northern Ireland, could be claimed as mm-hmm. British because technically
0: But they, I mean you're getting into a exactly. whole different thing there. They don't even know Northern Ireland exists. Very
1: true. Very know. true. Um,
0: um but yeah, and, and, in, and another thing is to notice like it's very um the claiming of the accomplishments. I think one of the funniest claims is definitely the <laughs> IRA thing. You we only have to be lucky once, but you have to be lucky each time. And they and, and it's attributed to Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. That actually is Peak. So
1: what the hell? The IRA um, wanted to kill Margaret Thatcher mm-hmm. and they placed a bomb in a hotel room in Brighton about a year before they knew Margaret Thatcher was going to be staying there. So yeah. the Troy Party Conference was always in this hotel every year um, and the, the IRA went in there disguised as workmen and placed a bomb under the bath in what they thought was going to be her room. I see. Um, It was not her room. It belonged to a different person. The bomb blew up. I think it killed four people. Um and injured a lot of other people and that was the message that the IRA then sent to Margaret Thatcher. And like,
0: how did that get attributed to Margaret Thatcher then? Like, it's actually insane. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's um, it's a way of undermining us. The Grania whale thing was a big thing. I don't know if you've seen you'd seen it on Twitter. I can't find the t- the thread now. I think she deleted yeah. it. But basically, it was, um, the this. I think she was an American writer, was like, oh, just to let you know, I have a, um, uh, a whole series written or a play or screenplay written a- about an Irish pirate queen. And these Irish girls were like, uh, please tell me you are retaining her name as Gráinne. And she was like, well, seeing as that it's English speaking, it would just be easier to refer to her as Grace.
1: No because that's not her fucking name. That's not her name. I think this is important if we, to go over um like how claiming Irish people is a way that Britain likes to undermine us as our own separate nation. Yeah. And I don't I don't mean that these I don't mean that these media outlets are sitting there on their board table going, let's claim all the Irish people.
0: Right, but how many times does it have to happen that like the same like I don't understand how it keeps happening. Surely this has happened enough times that like it. If you're a news it,
1: outlet, like you employ proofreaders,
0: exactly. You and employ it's not like fact checkers. It's not like it hasn't happened enough time that it hasn't come to people's attention. I don't understand the continued um, use of it. Look, just as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but this it was like this. The Irish Times had an article that was like this: fifteen year old was coked out of it, having sex with older men in hotel rooms, and it was like. The entire article painted her as this like, you know, lawless whore teenager having sex with men for drugs. When actually it was, they raped uh, her.
1: Yeah, groomed her and they raped her. A
0: traumatized child, um, being taken advantage of and exploit exploited for, and um, you know, it, uh, who was addicted to drugs. But it's like. How many times does this have to happen in the Irish media for them to not frame it in this way? It feels deliberate when it's continued.
1: Yeah, and I kind of I kind of think that they don't they just don't see it as a big deal in England. Like they just don't see claiming Irish people as a big deal because they genuinely don't believe that we are our own separate country with our own separate nation and culture. And this yeah. is something that I think has been kind of, um. It's, it's a historical idea, like British colonialism in Ireland sought to erase our language, our culture. And a lot of people would argue with the famine, they sought to erase our people. They, mm-hmm. they wanted us gone so that they could continue to plant our country with their people. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the objective was to make us the same as the British so we'd be easier to control. And you can see this from the plantations to the penal laws, the Protestant descendancy and the famine. Yeah, we are somewhat like the British, that did not happen uh, without massive suffering and misery on the Irish side, um, like this was never more clearly seen than by young by young people than during the Brexit referendum, where they just saw the big red bus that said five hundred million to the EU every week, and totally forgot about Northern Ireland, where there are three hundred border crossings between Donegal and Dundalk, and they had no plan on how they were going to deal with that because yeah. they literally think that our government here in the Republic is going to turn around and go, yes, Big Daddy England, we'll do that. Yeah. We'll do whatever you yeah. want. And what they're starting to realise now is that the other 27 members of the EU, none of them like the British, none of them. And they especially don't like the fact that the British are trying to leave now. Mm-hmm. They are not going to back down and let us, the Republic, um, be shafted yet again mm-hmm. by the British. Yeah. They do not see us as an independent nation um, and, and they genuinely believe the british government genuinely believes that we would all be better off if if the two islands were under one government
0: so i know you want to touch on that stuff there but just as you brought it up i was um reading about this whole thing with the with uh, boris that he's been at this uh this week and just to give a brief summary um the boris uh, uh agreed to not put in a uh, that the border would be down the RC, not in Ireland, uh, because if they were to install a physical border in Ireland, that would go against the Friday Agreement, and it's international law, so it would violate international law if something like that did happen. So they agreed in their withdrawal agreement that, no, we won't do that, but they've been signalling for a while that actually no. And what, has, uh, what the UK has done is tabled or put, brought in a bill that says we will bring in a border. And we will break international law. Uh, yes. In a
1: limited and specific specific way way.
0: yeah like for god's sake and nancy pelosi came out being like look man like you can do whatever you want or whatever but like just so you know you're not trading with me and which is a huge thing for the uk because they had promised their people like oh we'll just get a uh, bilateral u.s US, um, uk agreement we'll get with japan with brazil like no problem no problemo so um i just
1: don't think they fully understand but how fragile a piece in Northern Ireland is I
0: mean a hundred percent but also the the article I was reading on um, Irish Examiner was like this is a play this is like they're playing chess and they want to create to provoke the EU into um, collapsing the talk so then they can blame it on the Northern Ireland issue and not on them having a Brexit without having any plan. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's, it's
1: I I think the the fragility of the peace in Northern Ireland is something that has gone out of the memory of most British people. In if you if you were if you were living in England or Ireland between the 60s, 70s and 80s, it was it was an everyday occurrence. Every single day there would be something on the front page about a tragedy in Northern Ireland, about a murder, about a bomb, about, you know, people spitting on children, like it was It was it was hell. And I think that it's been 30 years nearly and it has faded out Mm. of the British memory. But what they don't seem to understand is there are groups, both Unionist and Republican, who are waiting in the wings and have been waiting in the wings for 30 years for something like this to happen. Mm. They want to bring back the violence because with the violence comes profit and money. Like if we if, if anybody is foolish enough to think that the IRA or the UVF have gone away, yeah. they, they're living in a fantasy land. Yeah. They've not gone away. They've just transformed. They've yeah. transformed into vigilante justice. They've transformed into drug dealing. They've transformed into smuggling. If there's one thing that they're real good at in Northern Ireland. It is smuggling. Mm. Um, and if they try and implement any sort of border, be it a physical border post or be it just a camera on a pole They will become targets. If you have a target, you have to have someone to defend the target. Then you need a defender to defend the defender. And before you know it, you have uniformed troops, whether army or border force on that border. And we're going back 30 years. And I'm actually getting genuinely upset about this because even though I wasn't alive when that happened, my parents were and most people's parents here were. And it's not a time that we want to go back to. It was not good. 3000 people dead. And the Brits are just like, Look, fuck it. I'll sacrifice a thousand children if that's what it takes to get me my fucking trade deal. Yeah. Like, they do not care about the people of Northern Ireland. And the unionists, I think there are a minority of unionists who are starting to realise that. Yeah. And actually would prefer a united Ireland. And now
0: for remembering
1: mother jones so today we're going to remember mother jones as kind of a person who was forced to leave ireland during the famine so she was born in 1837 um and her um the famine forced her to emigrate to north to north america when she was 10. she first went to live in canada um and she was kind of disgusted basically by um the lack of women's suffrage in a place that was supposed to be you know the land of the free and the home of the brave um and she was she 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 moved to chicago um after her uh, family passed away so she had a husband of four children they they died of yellow fever um and she moved to chicago and she began to um see that um there there was huge you know labor issues um mm. in in chicago at the time so she started to organize strikes um and they were the strikers were shot at by the police they were attacked by the police um and she she kind of refused to back down so she had um she, she frequently led strikers in picketing encouraged striking uh, workers to stay on strike she believed that working men deserved a wage um that would allow them to have some form of life. It's this kind of idea, again, of... I don't know if you've ever heard of Bread and Roses. It's a song um that talks about the fact that, yeah, fair enough, workers need to be able to buy bread, but they also do deserve a little, a few nice things oh, in their life. Oh, yeah,
0: that's interesting. Like yeah. roses, you yeah. know?
1: Um, so she she was also involved in kind of trying to stop child labour. So she she wanted children to go to school and men to go to work um and like why are children working um when a man could be getting that job you'd have to pay him a proper wage and that's I that's see. the reason yeah, why yeah, they hired yeah, children yeah. you know so she um she encouraged them to strike she encouraged them to join unions um and she even um went to meet with like very very high up men like in the in the government and things like that um and she she was big big into big into uh fuck the system basically like fuck the owners of these mills fuck the owners of these mines um and i will um i'll speak out against this so she um she 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 continued like all the way up to the 1920s when she was an old woman you know what i mean she continued to try and encourage workers to strike and she was she was very much i think what we would call today she was a socialist like Mm -hmm. she she believed that equal pay for equal work she believed that if if uh, you you have the right to go on strike you have the right to join a union um so she died in 1930 um and she kind of she would be remembered really really fondly um among a lot of union people and she would be remembered re- especially fondly among minors in america um and we just have a quote here from from a labor historian she said famous for enlisting workers wives in the labor struggle she opposed um she she opposed unfair labor practices um she was she she devoted the last 30 years of her life to the working class her influence on the american labor um, movement was very symbolic again this kind of female image where she was this grandmotherly woman who was uh, not afraid to stand at the front of a picket line and be like you're not going to attack me mm-hmm. you know you, you you want the men behind me but you're not going to go through me to get them so there's a lot of um, she's very popular. She's very popular in popular culture. Like even yeah. in Cork here, we yeah, have a Mother f- Jones f- market. market yeah. yeah, and she's obviously a Cork native, but she was um, she she was a union organizer, community organizer, and an activist. So big up Mother Jones!
0: Big up Mother Jones! Thanks, Mama. Mama Jones. Indeed. What's that song? Simon's Jackson. Oh, that's Miss Jackson.
1: No, um. Me and, and Mrs. 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 Jones. Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones.
0: Think
1: I think you should just like fade on. us out to that. Do you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for listening. Um, we're gonna do a podcast on Sowin. Is- on uh, and how. The, pagan festival, of the pagan festival of Samhain turned yeah. into
1: the kind of modern Halloween. Halloween, and also, um, if you're really lucky, you'll see on our socials a terrifying picture of a carved pump of a carved turnip because we didn't have pumpkins in Ireland, so we, we had, had carved teams. turnips, and they are fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah so um, thanks for
0: listening, and we will But it's much too strong to let it go now. We meet every day at the same cafe, 630 30.